Hello, everybody. This is the Friendly Bear Podcast, where we interview some of the best and brightest traders in the trading community. Listen to inspiring stories and nuggets of insight from current and future game changers in the trading space. Listen and learn as we explore all types of trading niches with some of the best in the industry from a Friendly Bear point of view. Make sure to check out the Friendly Bear Podcast new YouTube channel called Friendly Bear Research, which includes all the podcast video content and supplemental screen shares. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. With that being said, I'm your host, David, a.k.a. Reverse Long, and this is the Friendly Bear Podcast. Let's dive in. What's up, guys? This is David, a.k.a. Reverse Long, and today I'm back with Ziggy uh, Siegfried Egert, the CEO of Grizzly Research, and Ziggy was on the podcast. It must have been like two years ago. Wow, it's been a long time. See, I think it was like two years ago when mm-hmm. I was in uh, in Puerto Rico, a trade space, just starting the podcast. I think you're like in the first 20 something episodes. And I first started the podcast like, wow, I want to reach out to like the um, short report guys because I can give them like, a, you know, and make a podcast for short reports. And I was doing some short reports at the time. And uh, yeah, it was cool, really cool to connect with Ziggy because, you know, I, I saw him like as, as a as a mentor figure, you know, so like I learned a lot from that podcast and from other people I reached out to in the short selling report world and just, you know, how to go about it and, and do research. So, yeah, with that, um, it's, welcome back, Ziggy, on the podcast. And uh, yeah, how are you doing? Thank you. Good to be back. Feeling feeling good. Awesome. Awesome. So I remember last time, Ziggy, we, we talked about you were coming out with a report or you did, or it was already out for a while. I forgot. It's been so long, but it was TSP. It was a Chinese okay. stock. And, um, yeah, I think it was pretty successful, right? I haven't checked the, the recent price, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it was shortly after we had published TSP in, uh, late 2021. And, um, yeah, quite a few things happened since then. The stocks had been uh, trending down quite consistently since our publication. So it never really pumped or went, uh, I think, much above our publication price. Um, I think the most notable news then on the company was that uh, uh, late October 2022, so about a year later, the CEO was ousted about uh, over in properties. Uh, uh, there was a bunch of misconduct that came to light and the stock had, has completely fallen apart pretty much completely. It's down around 90% and, uh, you know, at, at at some at some point, it's um, you know stocks just trade at a certain level. You know, if there's no imminent bankruptcy risk, they just kind of float around. So we are we have moved on from the situation, but I think it was overall very successful. And everybody that read the research and and liked it uh, and got involved should have also done fairly well. Awesome, and you know, so that reminded me. So I remember TSP was a Chinese stock, and recently That's there true, was yeah. a. There was a lot of Chinese stuff going on, and you know, there's a lot of Chinese uh, stuff going on with the Cayman Islands. You have holding companies. I know. Um, I had recently, you know, Dan McClory from Valset on the podcast. He was telling me how Chinese companies, <laughs> how Chinese companies, um, go through the Cayman Islands and form a holding company to make themselves favorable to list list on the listed exchanges and. And, you know, and I I always thought that was kind of weird and fishy because, like, you know, it's just uh, not typical. And a lot of, like, these Chinese stocks are, are 
no one can really go there in person and see how they are, see if the company is doing what they say they're doing. Because, you know, even though, for example, I want to get your opinion on this. It's like the China Hustle documentary was done a long time ago. And that was like uh, reverse mergers and like, you know, companies that like kind of who knows if they're there or not or performing how they are. And then now we have uh, the Cayman Islands. And there was nothing going on with the Cayman Islands when the China Hustle came out. But now there is. And so it's kind of the same. Instead of just like reverse mergers, now it's like forming these these like shell entities and like yeah. or something like that. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Any any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I think I have a lot of thoughts on this actually. It is uh, when you look at the China Hustle original documentary, it feels a little bit like history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So it's a, it's a very similar ideas in maybe slightly different packaging with a, a holding company maybe in between the shell companies in between being in the Cayman Islands rather than maybe another jurisdiction. But uh, here are the fundamental ideas, I think, that are important to understand when it comes to buying uh, stocks that have underlying businesses that are operating in China. You are never going to seize anything and you will have a very hard time executing your rights here when it comes to touching any hard assets on the ground in China. But if you give a Chinese company that is listed here in the US, uh, um, I think credit and you're the senior creditor, um, even if they pledge you collateral real estate, whatever they might pledge, you won't be able to seize that realistically in China and sell it, you know, as a creditor would maybe be able to do in the US. Um, maybe similar to that, as a shareholder, you will have a very hard time enforcing anything when things really go wrong. And that has to do with the fact that the Chinese don't really let you own these assets directly. And they will never allow this. This is a thing that they don't like. And they say, basically, you have a choice. You have the choice between participating in the economics here somewhat, even though this requires a lot of trust and we're not really sending a lot of money out of China ever. So like dividends and payments from these from, from mainland China are very, very difficult. Uh, for for uh, U.S. investors or foreign investors in general. But if you believe it, you get to participate in the economics, you know. But it is not the same thing as direct stock ownership. So it's kind of almost that as if these Chinese stocks are like trading tokens, you know. But as long as people believe uh, that there is something underlying and then this works, they will continue to trade. I think there is a discount to uh, generally speaking associated with that. There should be a discount associated with that. But um, from the US perspective, from, from US investors perspective, it's a little bit the choice between being able to invest into these often shady Cayman Island holding companies that then hold assets in mainland China and there's and the variable interest entities that are maybe in between. And you know that you don't really directly own the asset. But um, the alternative is having no participation and no Chinese stocks on U.S. markets, essentially, you know, and that's something that we also don't really want. So it's kind of a uncomfortable situation where we're taking what we're getting as U.S. investors in terms of being able to participate in the Chinese economy and companies there. But it's definitely a, a, a setup that should make investors generally speaking uncomfortable and they should realize that they're they don't really have the rights that stockholders in u.s listed companies ordinarily have now there's a lot of layers to this and i think 
this is more like a legal issue here right now and, uh, and, uh, you know, corporate structure issue. I think a lot of the negative things that you associate with uh, Chinese stocks are, have to do with pump and dumps with, uh, you know, uh, shady tr chat rooms that are pushing certain stocks where it's fairly obvious that uh, there's nothing really underlying the stock is vastly overvalued, but they're being promoted in, in nefarious ways. And that's something that I have an issue with. Um, and we see this probably a little bit more frequently in, in small uh, Chinese stocks. Yeah. And I think we've seen it here in the last couple of week, weeks recently. I saw you posting about it quite a bit. Uh, you've been on top of that. There was was a couple of Chinese pump and pumps here with with Chinese stocks that were unexplainable. Right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about it. I was trying to explain to him what was going on. He doesn't he's not really in the markets or whatever, but uh it sound the more I explained it, the more I said, Wow, you know, this sounds like crypto. It's like they the Chinese have managed to like turn uh the stock market into like crypto because the rules apply for us, but for them they have no rules. It's like yeah. you know, it's, it's like a little they, bit difficult in the sense right it ties back to what you said before. If if there's no legal framework really to enforce the rules, so you're right. If I'm a Chinese fraudster with criminal energy and I'm defrauding U.S. investors out of money, there is probably no legal framework to really punish me. Uh, and the Chinese are not going to extradite me. So it's there's a lot of incentive to commit white-collar crime uh, with very little repercussions for the fraudster. So it's a it's a bad setup, you know. It's yeah. not that people are bad, also. It's it's a terrible incentive setup. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. It's not the people that are bad. It's just the way it's no. set up, you know? So, um, and I know I mean, so. Just yeah, imagine the other way around, you know, if we, if US investors could sell shady non-existent businesses to Chinese people, could make a lot of money for, with it, and there wasn't uh, any negative uh, feedback. Yeah, no after no that. repercussions. Like, just exactly. no. That would yeah. be like, uh, it would be a rush. So, if anything, it's given the terrible incentives, it's almost surprising how well the Chinese behave overall. And that's uh, an outrageous thing to say. Yeah. Right? But yeah. yeah. Um, so have you heard about so a couple of years ago when I was in Puerto Rico and I, I was uh, a big trader was explaining to me about uh, Chinese margin loan scams. And I never really fully understood it, but it, I kind of do. So I was going to run it by you. So like, OK, so they would take. Hypothetically, they pump a stock and they have no repercussions. And then they take out a loan against that stock and then they just don't pay the loan back. Right. There's uh, multiple ways that you can go about it. The most common way that this is done is, I think, as you say, about through stock loans. Um, the guys on the other end are also, as I understand, extremely shady. So they say, um, you give us $100 million worth of stock. Um, we give you a $20 million loan or so. And if the collateral falls under a certain value, under $40 million or so, uh, we will have to sell, seize the shares and sell them. The China, like the, the CEO may be pledging his shares in this scenario, thinks that he's playing them, which he is, you know, like the, 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 the stock that he has that's now worth on paper $100 million is worth probably only a tiny fraction and only a fraction of $20 million as well. The guys on the other side that are providing him the loan have probably sold the shares even before they they received them, you know? 
Um, so they are not really waiting until he gets the capital call or anything like this. They are selling right away. Um, so it's like a, a game with very shady characters involved that don't stick to the rules, that don't, don't, um, uh, don't do what they signed. And uh, there's a lot of stock loans are the most typical and easiest way probably to cash out uh, out of overvalued paper that you couldn't get rid of otherwise. You'll have to, of course, find the right counterparts for that that actually give you a loan. Uh, it's not not traditional banks or any anybody like this, you know. So it's like uh, niches. There's also another aspect to that uh, that I think I want to mention. You hear this sometimes that in China they are quite actively advertising what they call market cap management companies. You know, market cap management is also a good term. So that's aka stock manipulation uh-huh. but they make you give give them a certain inventory of of shares of your company that they're supposed to pump and um, some cash that they then cycle through and they will very actively try to uh, you know pump the stock sometimes it works sometimes I, I think it doesn't i think a lot of chinese uh, management teams that have seen maybe their stocks stock prices pumped here the last couple of days a good Good portion of them will have no idea where it's coming from when we're caught off guard and by surprise. I know this for a fact for a few. I don't think that there's always like a nefarious plan that worked out. Sometimes these management teams are sitting there and they say, I don't know what the hell is going on. Some guy just, you know, started pumping the stick on some trading room, but it, it wasn't us, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I believe them. Some are really like caught off guard, and uh, but there's a bunch of them that make a conscious effort to uh, manipulate their stock. They, they see it as if they were playing the stock market game, right? Yeah. So, so um, for example, TSP, which you did, that was Chinese. Um, mm-hmm. That was, uh, I think it was when China was locked down. So you had to do the research without actually going physically there, or did you hire someone there? I forgot. Because it's just, oh. it's mm-hmm. just so difficult. Because like in the China hustle, they locked that guy up. I don't know if you remember, in yeah. jail for doing that. So like, how do you investigate a, a Chinese company? Um, we have our private investigators on the ground in China. Um, we actually also run into problems with that. We try to, you know, we're super sure to never uh, uh, do anything illegal, right? It does never trespass or anything like this. We have an, uh, we have private detectives that we pay every month that only work for us exclusively because you can't get a reliable guy ad hoc that you can really trust. And you also have to have a certain amount of skill to navigate this environment there. I think uh, the environment has become more aggressive towards foreigners and foreigners spying or checking out what's going on in China on the ground. We have the infrastructure to do that, but I understand that for most investors, that's not the thing that they specialize in. We have a Chinese team. Um, Most people aren't like in this specific niche that we're in. So yes, it is very hard to investigate these. it also depends oftentimes on the on the situation, right? So if you have um, your major clients uh, in the U.S., even though U.S. Uh, Chinese company, the you know the due diligence on the ground in China might not be as worthwhile. Uh, you know, web-based companies or so. We we almost always do site visits, but a lot of times we just find offices. It's normal and boring. Talk to a couple of people there. Nothing too spectacular that just won't make it into the final reports, right? But we, we kind of always do the on-the-ground due diligence, at least visit the headquarters, see what's going on there, talk with people, get an impression of the organization. Yeah. 
Um, gotcha. So, um, okay. So recently, like I'm, we, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, and we we spoke briefly about beforehand. So I had Dan McClory on the podcast. I don't know a couple weeks ago, and he was telling, and I asked him one of the first questions I asked him was, um, okay, so what happened with the Chinese IPOs? They were paused for a couple years, and now all of a sudden they can do IPOs again. And he said, yeah, they're back. And you know, the the American people or the 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 public is so excited. He his, his exact words was the pub the public is constipated with enthusiasm to buy Chinese stocks. And this is causing a surge in Chinese price action and all that. Anyway, I mean, but the main thing is that I, I wanted to ask you was uh, the IPO. So they paused the IPOs. I guess they were asking questions. Maybe you know more detail about that. So the, the Nasdaq, I think, and paused the IPOs and then they brought them back. So do you know why they paused them and then why they brought them back? Maybe that whole process there, maybe if you're aware. I think it's there's a lot of factors at play. And this is almost like a political decision. Oftentimes, so it doesn't really have to do with Dan McClory or individual stocks that are getting pumped or so. I think it's also about the overall political climate. I think um, an important factor for U.S. regulators there is, I think, uh, the auditor. And they are um, essentially fighting behind the scenes uh, over how much access to the economic data of Chinese companies, Western auditors and investors get. So there's a balancing act and they're fighting over it a little bit. Um, so there is a back and forth. Um, I think ultimately, and then in the long run, we want to give U.S. investors the, the chance to participate in Chinese companies, but at the same time, we don't want them to invest in, in frauds, right? So there has to be a certain level of control uh, that, uh, you know, auditors have to have and a uh, certain level of transparency. I think and, in the long run, we, we're going to be okay in the sense that there will be Chinese IPOs. There will probably also be issues and struggles and fights over disclosure. And, um, but, but this is like, a, as I said, like complex issue and has a lot of political aspects to that as well that don't really have to do anything with trading or, or, the stocks or, you know, the, the unrelated factors that go into this. Yeah. It's really about the China-US relationship. It's a, that's, it's an important factor in this, right? Uh-huh. Um, and what about the Cayman Islands? So, like, w w did that come to play? Uh, was that like a loophole that was, ex that was found out about and exploited in recent years? Because, like, in the China hustle, for example, I never heard of it. It wasn't mentioned at all. Like, oh, did, well, did that, that's some, yeah. No, I, I get your question. The, the, the Cayman Islands holding structure had been in place for a bit, but it was rather uninteresting for them because this was just like an independent jurisdiction that was then supposed to hold the, like an in-between entity. And you could have put that into a, a bunch of jurisdictions, but Cayman Islands seemed to be a, a comfortable one. Um, so, so this, this is not really new. And as a concept, it's, it's, it's the same thing. You know, you have a, a very interest entity maybe in China that owns operating exercise like an interest in these and this interest variable interest entity is owned by a Cayman Island company and uh, the Cayman Island company is then held by a US company that is then the official ticker that is that people can buy into. So there's a lot of layers in between. As I said before, you know, the the your your rights really end at the Chinese border. Yeah. And uh and Ziggy, so to start to wrap it up, so um do you have, are you working on anything in particular or what's you, what's been your process the past like, you know, year, year and a half 
since we spoke last. Yeah, we had uh, we have been busy. We had a couple of publications uh, already uh, this year, but we have the biggest ones coming up yet. And I mean, I don't want to tell you too much, but the biggest one that I'm most excited about that is, you know, that, that will be, I think, uh, very interesting is a Chinese name, big Chinese name. So that will be coming up soon. I'll, I'll give you a heads up. I'll let you know when when we when we're gonna go out, so you can keep your eyes open. Um, that should be one that a lot of people pay attention to. Yeah. Not that awesome. many, not that many Chinese stocks are really that relevant or known to U.S. investors, but a few, but a few are. So that's really something to look out for. Perfect. And yeah, if you can tell people where to find you, so yeah, it's a Grizzly Research. Yeah, we are Grizzly Research. You can find us on Twitter. Our website is grizzlyreports.com. Um, check out our research, read it carefully, check our sources carefully, and always make up your own mind. You know, we only do our best to put together relevant, good information that we think uh, is worthwhile sharing and is differentiated. Um, but, you know, as an investor, make sure that you always believe in your own judgment. You know, you have to be the judge at the end of the day and make your own decisions. Absolutely. Well, Ziggy, thank you for coming on. And as always, man, it's always been a pleasure to catch up with you. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I have everything in the notes. Thanks a lot, Ziggy. I'll see you later. Thank you. Bye. That concludes today's episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to the channel on the platform you use. The Friendly Bear Podcast is hosted by me, David, where you can find me on Twitter at reverse underscore long. You can find the Friendly Bear Podcast at www.thefriendlybearpodcast.com as well as on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, and now on YouTube at Friendly Bear Research. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Friendly Bear Podcast.